today on Divine Truth Podcast. How did we as a nation who were founded on Judeo-Christian principles, how did we get to where we are now, to where our sitting president is all for abortions up to the time of birth? That when that child is coming through and coming down the birth canal and being born, our current president is all for murdering that child. How did we get here? Every life is conceived by God. In whatever the circumstances, the Word of God is very clear that every conception is from the sovereign hand of God. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. First Timothy chapter number 2, and after you have found that out of respect for God's Word, if you would please stand. As we read two verses this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number 14. 1 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 14. This is the word of God. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. If they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, Lord God, that you would teach us now your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. If you have have been attending Emmanuel for any length of time, uh, you will know that it's very unusual for me not to preach on a particular text as we work our way through books of the Bible. You will also know that it's very unusual for me to preach on what would be considered by some as a social platform. Here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we do not preach on politics. We do not preach on social issues except when those social issues are found in the Bible. And what I'm going to share with you this morning has become a political and a social issue, but we need to understand that it was a biblical issue first. And today being Mother's Day, and with all the information that's probably been filling your heads this week in regard to the sanctity of life, I felt that it was an ideal time to share some thoughts with you on this very important biblical issue. A post came across my desk this week of a person who posted on social media a pro-life message. It wasn't offensive, at least to a person with sound mind, but it was pro-life. 
And immediately, as you began, as I sometimes do, began to read the comments and then fight the compulsion to comment myself, this person that posted this was immediately attacked and vilified. One person who was attacking the poster said this, quote, Religion doesn't belong in politics, end quote. Religion doesn't belong in politics. And by that one short statement, that person clearly identifies that they don't know anything or have any understanding about basic American history. Because the fact of the matter is, church, this issue that's before us is not about politics. The issue of abortion is all about religion and scripture. And I say that it is all about religion and scripture because God has much to say on the topic. And this is a topic that even for some evangelicals, it brings sort of a sense of discomfort as this topic begins to, begins to be talked about. But this is a topic, folks, that the Bible, that the Word of God has much to say about it. And if I am going to be a faithful minister of the Word of God to you and preach to you the whole counsel of God, then this is going to be something that I have to do. Some of Somebody might be tempted to say, well, Pastor, why Mother's Day? Of all days of the year, why pick this day to talk on this topic? And my answer to why Mother's Day is, why not? Mothers have children. Mothers have abortions. But mothers have a God-ordained role to play in the family and in the church. So let's dive right in. In our world, we are slaughtering between 50 to 60 million babies a year. In the United States alone, we are slaughtering about 1.5 million a year. That is, folks, here's the ratio, about every third pregnancy ends in abortion. That's 4,000 abortions a day. That's one abortion, every, that's one abortion, 170 abortions rather, every hour. Planned Parenthood alone kills one every 95 seconds. And just so that we're not sucked in to the false notion that Planned Parenthood exists for all kinds of medical procedures for women, the Physicians Association of Planned Parenthood made this statement, quote, Abortion is a treatment of unwanted pregnancy, the second sexually transmitted disease, end quote. So pregnancy to Planned Parenthood is a sexually transmitted disease. And since that unrighteous group of justices of the Supreme Court sided with Roe and Roe v. Wade on January 22, 1973, 43% of women have had abortions and 47% of those have been repeat abortions. The debauchery of it all is that it is legal to do to a child what you could be arrested for doing to a cat or a dog, especially an eagle. In fact, in Massachusetts, it is illegal to award a goldfish as a prize in a fair. And the document from the Massachusetts law said, quote, This is to protect the tendency of dull humanitarianism, feelings, and corrupt the morals of those that abuse them, end quote. 
So there's a law in the state of Taxachusetts that would prevent the abuse of goldfish. Not to mention the emotional turmoil that it puts a mother through. In fact, studies have shown that a woman that has had an abortion, the suicide rate amongst those women goes up 400 to 800%. The abortion just causes a terrible interruption of the normal cycle to say nothing about depression, withdrawal, guilt, shame, alcohol dependency, and the list of problems just goes on and on and on. But the question that always seems to rise is, how did we, how did we as a nation who were founded on Judeo-Christian principles, how did we get to where we are now, to where our sitting president is all for abortions up to the time of birth? That when that child is coming through and coming down the birth canal and being born, our current president is all for murdering that child. How did we get here? How did we get here? How did we get to the place where the most unsafe place for an unborn child is in the womb of a mother? We got here because of one word and one person. The word is sin and the person is Satan. Satan, I believe, church, particularly goes after babies. Goes after children. He did it at the time of Moses. He did it at the time of Christ. And the church has always said that abortion was sinful and murder. And the true church has not changed their stand on that issue. And the word of God is very, very clear. But in America, we have one particular party whose whole platform seems to be, quote, and I quote from that party, to protect the right of women to choose, end quote. And the reason that they say this is because, quote, it is a matter of freedom. A woman has the right of her own body, end quote. Well, pardon me, it is not your body that's being massacred, it's the body of somebody else. When a woman walks into an abortion clinic to have an abortion done, only one of those persons walk out alive. It is not her body that this debauchery is being done to. It's the body of the unborn child. And when I hear, when I hear slogans that say, keep your laws off of my body, listen, the body that's being ripped apart in the womb and sucked out by a giant vacuum is not the woman's body, but it's the body of the unborn child. Folks, our society, our country, our world is ripe for judgment. We lead America leads the world next to China in the number of abortions. And the only reason China is above us is because they have forced population. But we're second in the world in abortions. Somebody said, well, what if the child has some defects? What if the child has some defects? Now look, we're all defective, aren't we? Every one of us are defective. It's just a matter of a question of degree. One writer said this, quote, Women must have the right to an abortion as a backup to contraceptive failure. End quote. So murder is a backup. The 14th Amendment of our Constitution says, quote, No person shall be deprived of life. 
And the problem and the grave mistake that the justices of the United States Supreme Court made on January 22, 1973, is that they failed to recognize the fact that life begins from the moment of conception. Life begins at the moment of of conception. Life does not begin, church, at the moment of implantation. Life begins at the moment of conception. Our courts, for example, will prosecute a person for double homicide if they murder or some otherwise kill a woman that is carrying a baby. They'll convict them of double homicide. But if that same woman who was murdered was on her way to an abortion clinic, taking that life is legal. The hypocrisy And the double-tongued talk is absolutely amazing. There was an interesting statement written by Dr. Jerome Lugane. He is a professor of fundamental uh, genetics in Paris. Now, I want to read to you briefly what he said, but I want to preface this in this way. Dr. Jerome Lugane is not a Christian. And therefore, he is not writing as a Christian. He is a scientist that's simply looking at the facts. And he says this, quote, Life have a, has a very long history. Each individual has a very neat beginning, the moment of conception. An unsaved man. The moment of conception. The material link is the molecular DNA in each reproductive cell. This ribbon, roughly one meter in length, is cut into pieces, 23, or chromosomes. As soon as the 23 parentally derived chromosomes are united through fertilization to the 23 maternal ones, the full genetic meaning necessary to express all the inborn qualities of the new individual is gathered and personal constitution takes place. Two months of age, the human being is less than one length, one thumb length from the head to the rump. He could easily fit into a nutshell, but everything else is there. He has a head, he has a feet, he has organs, and he has a brain. In the fourth week, there is consciousness. He says everything is in place. The heart, he says, has been beating for a month by the second month. The fingerprints can be detected. And he says this little heart is beating somewhere between 150 and 175 times a minute. And then this unsaved scientist finishes his statement by saying this, to accept the fact that after fertilization takes place, a new human being has come into being is no longer a matter of taste of opinion, end quote. Now, that's an unsafe scientist who says that life begins. He looks at the scientific facts and will, comes to the admission that life begins at the moment of conception. And if life begins at the moment of conception, then that totally obliterates the pro-choice arguments. May I add that I don't, it's not pro-choice. We don't have pro-life and pro-choice in America. We have pro-life and pro-death. If someone is pro-choice and they're pro-death, They're pro-death. It is a person. It is a person. And so the bottom line is abortion, is murder. And our responsibility as believers is to return to the Word of God and see what God's Word has to say on the subject. And I want to show you this morning some things from the Scripture, which is our authority, folks, right? Everyone in this auditorium believes in what's called sola scriptura. We believe that Scripture alone is the final authority. And as our final authority, we must submit to what the Scriptures say. 
And then we will end by what are the responsibilities for the mothers. And as we work our way through this, we will first look at the distinction that the Scripture makes on life. And then based on that distinction, the responsibilities that the mothers have. And we will notice that in four headings this morning. First, every life is conceived by God. Second, every life is created by God. Third, every life is a caricature of God. And fourth, every life is cherished by God. Let's look at all four of these things quickly this morning. But I want us to notice what God has to say on this very, very important issue of life. Number one, every life is conceived by God. Every life is conceived by God. In whatever the circumstances, the Word of God is very clear that every conception is from the sovereign hand of God. Can I hear an amen? Every life, every conception is by the sovereign hand of God. God personally is involved in the conception of every life. In Psalm 127, verse 3, the psalmist says, Lo, children are an heritage or a blessing or a gift of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Listen, children are a gift from God, right? Children are a gift from God. How could it be said any more simply than that? And as, as, as we consider the facts that children are a gift of God, there is both a negative and a positive side to look at this. From the negative perspective, the Scriptures say that it is God that closes the womb. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 18, For the Lord hath fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. And the Lord in His sovereignty, church, has the power to close the womb so that no one could conceive. In Genesis chapter 16 and verse 2, And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath what? Restrained me from bearing, or He has closed my womb. The Scriptures say twice of Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel that the Lord closed her womb. And so the negative side of things is that in in all conception is from God, is that God closes the womb so that no conception can happen. However, on the positive side of that, it is the Lord alone that has the power to open the womb. The Lord who who at times closed the womb of Sarah, in His sovereign timetable, He opened the womb of Sarah. In Genesis chapter 21 and verse 2, For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the time set of which what? God hath spoken to him. The Lord made the promise, the Lord set the time, and then the Lord opened the womb. In Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21, And Isaiah entreated the Lord for his wife or asked the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah was his wife conceived. She conceived because church, the Lord allowed her to conceive. It was the Lord that conceived life within Rebekah. 
And then going back to the account of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 20. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel. Hannah asked the Lord and it was the hand of the Lord that opened the womb of Hannah. In Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife and when he went in unto her the Lord gave her conception. See that, folks? The Lord gave her conception. And the Bible speaks about every conception being the work of the Lord. And that's why it says in Psalm 127, verse 3, that children are a gift of the Lord. Folks, we need to understand this morning that every life, every life that is developing inside of the womb of a mother, every life, we have three mothers. I think I counted that right. We have three mothers here that are great. That are some of them are with child. Some of them are in, are in that infancy stage, and some of them are greater with child. And before it's all over, all of you will be great, great with child. But every woman in here who's had a child, and every mother who's got a child presently developing within her, that child is there because God opened the womb and God allowed conception to take place. Because every life is conceived by God. And if every life is conceived by God, it is put there by God, and so to destroy that life is to destroy what God has done. Because every life is conceived by God. And because every life is conceived by God, every life is a gift from God. Every child is a gift from God. If you're a parent today, you have gifts from God. God gave my wife and I five, and they're gifts. And every person here today that's a parent, especially you ladies, it's a gift of God. Because every life is conceived by God. Number two, not only do I want you to see that every life is conceived by God, but every life is created by God. Every life is created by God. Let me say this, that this, that this message would not go over very well and be accepted on the floor of the Senate or the Congress. But this is what the Word of God says. I don't get my sermons from Senate. This is what the Word of God says. Every life is created by God. And let's go a little bit further from the Old Testament and notice a very powerful statement that the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul had been debating the philosophers there in Athens. He was on Mars Hill talking to those philosophers there, and he identifies that they had some sort of idol to the unknown God to just kind of cover their bases. In case that there was a God that they left out, they didn't want that God to be angry with them. And so they, they made a space and they erected a, a model, erected an idol for all, they kind of collected all the gods. This is for the ones that we forgot. And so Paul says to them as he comes on Mars Hill and begins to debate these guys, he says, let me tell you something about the God you do not know, which happens to be the one and only true God. Paul says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 24, God hath made the world and what, church? All things in it. He is the creator God. And of course, Paul is quoting here from the Old Testament. In Psalm, 144, uh, Psalm 146 verse 5, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his helper, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all therein that is, which keepeth truth forever. 
In Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 1, the prophet said, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretches forth the heavens and layeth the foundations of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. And John says in John chapter 1 and verse 3, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. God is the creator, and God continues to create. God is the creator, God is the ruler, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 25 of Acts 17, Seeing he giveth life to, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. What a powerful statement. Listen, church, God is the source of all life. Anyone who has life, whether it's outside of the womb or inside of the womb, every being that has life has life because God gave it to them. There is nothing, nothing in existence that He did not create. Everything that is in existence is in existence because He made it. All things live because He gave them life. In Psalm 104, verse 30, Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. And by the way, Psalm 104, that includes everything that has life. Plants, animals, and humans are all the creation of God. And notice what Paul says in verse 25 again, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And then verse 26. He hath made of one blood uh, all, all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. And notice verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of our own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Now, folks, I want you to understand this morning that God's creating all things is not some sort of distant activity on God's part. Notice what the psalmist says in Psalm 139, verse 13, For thou hast possessed my reins. Now, I want you to notice that part that's underlined on the screen there for you. Thou hast possessed my reins. In the Hebrew, that literally says this, You have formed my inward parts. And the Hebrew meaning for that word, inward parts, that phrase, inward parts, literally means kidneys. The psalmist is saying, you have formed my kidneys, which is a term used to describe the entire complex of organs that make up the human body. The psalmist says, you formed them. You formed them. And notice again what he says in verse 13. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. The word covered there in the Hebrew means you wove me and you wove me together in my mother's womb. And that's beautiful language. What does that mean? Listen, that's talking about the DNA strips that are woven together by the hand of God. Every, every person in this room, this, this auditorium this morning, has a very complex string of DNA running through your body that they can tell every single solitary thing about you. And the psalmist says that every string of your DNA was woven by the sovereign hand of God, individually, lovingly, and sovereignly woven woven together by his hand. Don't tell me that that's not a life. You wove together, the psalmist says, my complete genetic plan. You produced it. You were the weaver. And notice what it says in verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am, what? 
fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. That phrase, that my soul knoweth right well, that's a psalmist's way of saying, I know you made me. I know that you wove me, you formed me, everything about me, from my simplicity to my complexity, everything about me you made. You made. In verse 15 of Psalm 139, the psalmist says, My substance was not hid from thee. The word my substance there in Hebrew means my frame. What was that? What's my frame? My bones, my muscles, my ligaments, my tendons, our structure. The psalmist says that my entire structure was made by you. He says in verse 15 again, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Don't you like that word lower parts of the earth? That's kind of a strange phrase. But here's what the psalmist means when he speaks about the lower parts of the earth. He says that's a euphemism for the womb. That's a euphemism for the womb. In verse 16, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. My substance, yet being unperfect. What is that? That's a Hebrew expression that means something rolled together. Something balled up before it is unfolding. Something that is just a genetic mass. This is what we call in medical terms, this is what we call an embryo. An embryo. I remember one time some years ago, I was speaking to a pro-choice advocate, and um, that's quite a conversation. I mean, if you've ever had the opportunity, uh, I wouldn't call it a privilege, if you've ever had the opportunity to speak to somebody that was, a, was really, really anti-pro-life, but they kept referring to the child as, a, as they usually do, they kept referring to the unborn child as a fetus. And I let them continue on because you can't call it a child. When the moment you call it a child, then you've admitted that it's life and you've admitted that you're committing murder. So they refer to it as a fetus. And then I let them continue on in the conversation for a little while, and then I informed them. I said, do you know Latin? They said, no. I said, well, I know that you keep using the word fetus because you don't want to call that unborn child a child, but do you understand that the word fetus is, is Latin for little child? And the psalmist says, that you were there with me when I was a genetic mass. When I was an embryo, when I was a ball before I was unfolded, you were there. In verse 16, and in thy book all my members were written. Church, listen, we need to understand that God is personally, intimately involved of every stage of the development of a life of a child even before as even before and as, as it's being in the in biblical terms unfolded god is intimately involved god looks at the very depths of who we are and knows us intimately from the moment of conception that is why he says in verse 17, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Listen, when you read Psalm 139 in context and see how involved God is in our, from your conception all the way through your development, and then the psalmist exclaims and prays, How precious are your thoughts to me. And listen, God's thoughts toward every life began from the moment that they were just conceived. What an amazing statement that for us, even before our birth and our developmental stages, God's thoughts toward us were precious, the psalmist says. You know, God intimately knows everything about you 
from, your, from, from the moment of your conception because that's the way he made you. He created every person that has ever been conceived. Listen, church, that unborn child is not an animal. They're not a biological accident. They're not an inconvenience. They're not, some, they're not at some point a tissue and then later becomes a person. You are a creation of Almighty God who wove you together down to even your genetic code. Who intimately sees even you as an unformed child. And who guides the entire process. In Judges chapter 13 and verse 3, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Speaking about Manoah, Samson's mother. It was God that formed Samson. People who have children, women that are carrying children, how carrying children because God created them in the womb. Listen. It does not matter if you're married, and it does not matter, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, but if we believe what the Bible says, we have to believe all what the Bible says, right? It doesn't matter whether you're married, it doesn't matter if you're having sex with somebody that you're not married to, it doesn't matter if you're the victim of rape, it doesn't matter if you're the victim of incest, that does not change the fact that that life is a creation of God, does it? God isn't intimately involved in the creation of children unless it's by bad circumstances. The Bible says He is involved in the creation of life, period. And we either accept all of the Bible or begin to question it and ultimately accept none of the Bible. Because it does not change the fact, it does not change the fact that life is always and in every circumstance a creation of God. Job said, even back as ancient Job was back in the patriarchs, Job said in Job chapter 10, verse 8, Thine hands have made me and fashioned me together round about, yea, thou dost destroy me. What I want to focus on is the fact, and of course Job is lamenting over his trials, but what Job recognizes is that you made me and you fashioned me. You're responsible for making me. And in Job chapter 10, verse 11, Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh, and hast fenced me with bones and sinews. Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thou visitation has preserved my spirit. And Job makes the amazing statement that it was God that kept him alive in the womb. And then, of course, a famous phrase of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, what? I knew thee. What does, he, what does Jeremiah say? What, is, what does God say to Jeremiah? Who formed him in the belly? God did. Folks, listen. You, the world can call us fanatics. The world can call us religious bigots. The world can call us right-wing hacks. But we stand on this. Irregardless of what the world calls us, we stand on this. And the word of God says of Jeremiah, I formed thee in the belly. God, every life is a conception of God. Every life is a creation of God. 
And the same message is repeated in the New Testament because we learn in the Gospels that it was the Holy Spirit that created Christ in the womb of Mary without an earthly father. When did Christ come into the world? At His birth? No, at His conception, Christ came into the world. And some people ask, and it's a, very, and it's a, and it's a popular question, what about deformed babies? Are they a gift of the Lord? And as I said before, we're all deformed. It's just to what degree we're, we're formed. But notice what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Who makes the dumb? Who makes the deaf? Who makes the seeing? Who makes the blind? Who, church? Have not I the Lord? She's not in here, is she good? I remember that day I got that phone call from Logan. And she told me what was going on. And Logan didn't even give me an opportunity to give her advice, as Logan a lot of times does. But sometimes Logan gives me the right answer anyway. But she didn't even give me time to give her advice. The very first thing that the doctor said to her, you guessed it, we need to abort. Logan's words to the doctors without hesitation was absolutely not. I will not kill my children. Because Logan realized that it's the Lord that makes healthy children. And Logan realized it's the Lord that makes the dumb, makes the deaf, makes the seeing, makes the blind. It's the Lord. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus Christ in John chapter 9 concerning the man who was born blind? Remember that? The disciples came up to him because they believed what was called prenatal sin. And they believed that a child could actually commit a sin. It's what the Jews taught. That a child could actually commit a sin in the womb of the mother. And then God would judge that child based on the sin that they committed in the womb of the mother. And so based on that belief, the disciples came to Jesus with this man outside the temple who was begging. He was born blind. Evidently, he was known in the community. He said, they said, Master, who sinned that this man was born blind? Him or his parents? It's got to be somebody's fault because God is far too loving to create defective life. So it's got to be somebody else's fault. What did Jesus say in verse 3 of John 9? Neither one of them have sinned. But, the, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. What was Jesus saying? This man did not sin. His parents did not sin. I created him blind for my glory. And listen, you may have given birth to, a, to a, what the world would deem to be a defective child. You may, by God's grace, have given birth to healthy children, or you may, by God's grace, given birth to an unhealthy child. But listen, that does not ever negate the fact that God is the creator of life. God makes the healthy. God makes the sick. God makes the dumb. God makes those that are able to speak. God makes those who are deaf. God makes those who are able to hear. It is all the hand of the Lord. And how dare we take the rod of correction and chastisement and judgment in our own hands and destroy what God 
has conceived and created in the womb of a mother and then call it legal and then call it a right and then call it a choice. It's not a choice. It's murder. It's not a choice. It's murder. And there are even some conservatives that will say, well, what happens? Well, we can abort the child if it's because of rape or incest. Really? And this is kind of an itchy area, even for some conservatives. Uh, let me ask you a question, church. Does that change what the Bible says about the fact that God is the creator of life? Does that change any of that? Was God not in charge? Did God somehow fall off his throne when this horrific sin was going on? Does, listen, church, we've got to come face to face with this. Does that change anything? Does that change what the Bible says about God being intimately involved in the life and the creation and the conception of a child? Not at all. Let me tell you something, folks. Abortion is an anti-God act. And I'll be perfectly honest with you on this regard, too. And this is on the World Wide Web. We're live. I'm not quite sure how a Christian can vote for somebody that's pro-choice. Right? I didn't say you're not a Christian. I'm not sure how a person can vote for someone who knows the candidate is pro-death. I had a, I had a, I had a professing Christian tell me many, many years ago, this was way back when George Allen was running for governor of Virginia against Mary Sue Terry. Some of you all probably don't even remember that. Uh, most of you do, but some of you don't. But I was sitting right, I was sitting by side by side, and I don't bring up politics if, if, usually. Um, I was sitting side by side with this person, and they brought it up. I was innocent. They brought it up. And I love it when they bring it up knowing where I stand. What are you trying to bait and switch me? And he said these words to me in the midst of our conversation. And this is not Republican, Democrat. This is not a statement for either party. This is the statement he made. He says, I've never seen a Republican that ever did anything for the poor man. We think about that blue. To which I turned around and said, I've never known a Democrat who was not for murder. Candidates. Folks, we've got to understand abortion is an anti-God act. Plain and simple. It's anti-God. It's not, it's not just it's anti-life. It's anti-God. Every life is conceived by God. Every life is created by God, number three. Every life is a caricature of God. Every life. In, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, and, he, and God said, let us make man in what? Our image, after our likeness. Every life that is created is created in the image of God. James chapter 3, verse 9, James says, Wherewith bless we God, even the Father, and wherewith curse we men, which, have made at, which are made after the similitude or the what? Likeness of God. We better be careful. 
We better be careful of what we do to people who are made in the image of God, whether they're born or unborn. But we better be careful about what we do to people that are made in the likeness of God. Every individual has the ability to have some part of the communicable attributes of God. And that is what it means when the Bible says that we're made in the image of God. We have, every human being has the ability to love. Every human being has the ability to give grace. Not saving grace, but forgiving grace. Every human being has those abilities because we've been created and formed in the likeness of God. And what abortion does is it takes away the killing of what it kills, what God has conceived, what God has created, and it kills what's been made in the likeness of God. When that child, when that child, at 13 weeks, I had the opportunity. A young woman shared a video with me of an abortion of a 13-week-old child being aborted. Maybe it was 14. And I sat there with tears streaming down my face as I watched that child in the womb of that mother try to get away from that instrument that was coming at him. Don't tell me that that's a mass ball of an embryo that doesn't know what's going on. Every life is conceived by God. Every life is created by God. Every life is a caricature of God. And number four, Every life is cherished by God. We understand from Scripture very clearly that every life is conceived by God. We understand very clearly from Scripture that every life is created by God. We understand from Scripture that every life is a character of God. But now we come to the point of where God blesses the moms. And listen, you not only moms have a responsibility when that child is being formed in your womb to that child to protect that child, but you have the responsibility after that child is born to protect that child. We come to the point in our text where, where it says that, the, that, that life is cherished by God and a great responsibility is given to the moms. Look at our text in verse 15. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. Now I want you to keep in mind the order of creation that Paul gave in, in verse 13. Verse 13, Paul says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Okay, so Adam was the original creation made from the dust of the ground. Adam, God took out a rib from the side of Adam and created woman. And then verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. When this happened, the whole human race fell into depravity and judgment. Listen, men, Eve was not suited by her nature to assume the position of ultimate responsibility. It wasn't that Eve was not as smart as Adam. That had nothing to do with it. It is not that Eve was, was weaker than Adam mentally. That has nothing to do with it. All it has to do with, folks, is this. This is the order of God. 
Because just because the Bible says that the man is ahead of the woman, just as God is ahead of Christ, it doesn't mean that you ladies are not smarter than guys. I know you ladies, most of you are smarter than most men I know. That's not what it's talking about. This is just the prescribed order of God. And Eve was not suited by her very nature, the way God formed her, the way God made her, to, to have that ultimate responsibility. And then when she stepped out of the, from the protection of Adam, she became highly vulnerable and sinned. And of course, when Adam stepped out and violated his role as leader and followed Eve, the perversion of God's order was just complete. And the fall happened because Eve was deceived into believing the lie of Satan. Now, church, that does not mean that Adam could not, could not have been deceived, because clearly he could have. But the fall happened because the divine order of the family was usurped. The one that was to be the leader became the follower, and the one who was to be the follower became the leader. And when that order was usurped, the fall took place. But, Paul says in verse 15, she shall be saved in what? Childbearing. Now, obviously, Paul is not intending to teach here that women are eternally saved through children. Say, hey, I'm going to heaven, I had a child. No, that's not what Paul is saying. That would contradict every other teaching in the New Testament that salvation is by grace through faith alone. What Paul is referring to here is the, is the wonderful counter to the fall. Listen, church, the rescue. The delivery, the freeing of woman from the stigma of having led the human race into sin happens when they bring up a righteous seed. Listen, women are far more, far from being a second class citizen because women have the responsibility, according to scripture, of rearing godly children. And Paul says that you overcome your part of the fall by raising a godly child. The fact is, fathers can never know the intimacy that happens between a mother and her child from that was established during pregnancy and through infancy, and it continues on through the childhood. Let me ask you a question, dads. How many times have you watched a football game, for example, and this this great big old rugged dude did something great on the football field, and he knocked somebody's head off or something, and he came over to the pew, and everybody's congratulating him, and he looks into the camera, and he says, Hi, Dad. No, the big old ruddy, ruddy football player looks in the camera and says, Hi, Mom. Because it's the mom that has that intimate relationship. My wife has a relationship with my boys as close and as loving as my boys are. My wife has a relationship with my boys that I'll never understand or know or experience. And that's the way God made it. That's the way God made it. And listen, yes, women had the primary role in leading the humanity into sin, but God says you can overcome your part of that by having and raising godly children, but you can't do it if you, if you kill God's creation in the womb. You women have a wonderful privilege of raising a godly seed, and that's your responsibility. Raising godly children. Teaching your children the law of God. The dads have their responsibility and they'll get theirs in June. But you all, your day's coming, old man. Your day's coming. So is mine. Because I are one too. 
But women have a wonderful responsibility of that life that was formed in there by the hand of Almighty God from the moment of conception. God's hand is, you got that little peanut, as some people call their little child, you got that little peanut in the, in the womb of your wife. If we can just imagine with the psalmist that God's hand is inside of the womb of that mother and He's forming that child. He's weaving the DNA structure of that child. He's building the bones of that child. He's building the brain of that child. And by, and by two months, that child's heart's beating. By four weeks, four months, that child has consciousness. And God's hand is completely involved in the formation of that child. Folks, we need to understand what the Bible says about abortion. The Bible says that abortion is murder. And while it does not mention the word abortion, the Bible is very clear that life begins at the moment of conception. Life doesn't begin when you find out you're pregnant. Life begins the moment the seed connects the egg. And the moment that happens, there's a life. It's a life that God is nurturing. It's a life that God is forming. It's a life that is a caricature of God. And from the moment those cells meet, you have a unique life of God. And for any reason to destroy that life is to snuff out a creation of God. And to do so is murder. And what should mothers be dedicated to? Raising godly children for the glory of God. You're not responsible, moms, for what they do with the information you give them. Your responsibility as a mom is to give them the information to raise up a godly seed for the glory of God. And that should be the driving force of every woman in this church, especially those that are moms, should be the driving force of those people in this church so that they may teach the younger women, as Paul told Timothy. Let the aged women teach the younger women how to be moms, how to love their husbands. That's what the Scripture says. Baby is not a choice. A baby is not an inconvenience. A baby is not politics. A baby is not your body. It is a baby that is conceived, created, and a caricature of God and is cherished by God and should be cherished by moms to drive them to raise that child for the glory of God in a godly environment. And I would say to those that are watching that are not here, I, was, I would say to those that are thinking about an abortion, I implore you to consider what the Bible says about life. That life that is within your room and, the, and your unique responsibility as a mom. And I would also say to those who have suffered the terrible heartbreak of having an abortion, I would say that there's forgiveness and love found in the grace of Almighty God. And you may have had an abortion and you may have committed the atrocity against that child, but there's forgiveness and grace found in the grace of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus can take away that hurt, can take away that guilt, and can give you a brand new life in Christ. Today, as we celebrate moms, 
I challenge moms everywhere, those of you who are here and those of you who are watching, I challenge moms everywhere to consider your wonderful calling before God and the wonderful privilege of being called mama. Mama. You know, your teenage daughters particularly sometimes uh, come at me angry with you moms. But you know how I know that they're not really mad at you? When they're really mad at you, they say the old lady. And then they get another sermon from me on respect. So they only do that once. But you know how I know that the daughters, they may be mad, but you know how I know that, they're, that they still love them? Because they'll say words like this. My mommy makes me mad. And then I'll look at them and say, yeah, but you still love her, don't you? Yeah, I guess I do. It's a wonderful privilege to be called mom. And I want you ladies to consider the wonderful calling that God has placed upon your life to raise up godly children for His glory. And the blessed privilege of being called mama. Every life is a conception of God. Every life is a creation of God. Every life is a caricature of God. And every life is cherished by God. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.